Welcome in hockey fans in the desert Southwest. Welcome to another edition, another episode, episode number nine of Professional Hockey Southwest Weekly. Scott Strandy here live in Scottsdale, Arizona. My co-host, Seth Askelson, joining me from North Phoenix. Seth, how are you tonight? I'm doing well. Thanks, Scott. How about yourself? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, we got a great show again tonight. Uh, we got a mutual friend of ours that we've worked with and had a guy doing some work with me for a while and Andrew Bell joining us. So looking forward to that. I'm sure you are as well. Yeah, it's a guy that uh, I was a roommate with for about a year. So, uh, you know, you, sometimes they say you never know a guy till you live with them. And I definitely got to know Andrew uh, a lot better uh, when we got to live together. And uh, I think that was a good thing. So, um, yeah, it's a guy that's very knowledgeable, I think, in hockey in general, right? A guy who I think understands the aspect of, of hockey in the Southwest, a, a kid who grew up in, in San Jose, grew up a Sharks fan in a, a market that wasn't seen as traditional, right? And, and he comes from a non-traditional market that has seen a lot of success. Sure, the, the Sharks haven't won a Stanley Cup, but they, they're perennial playoff teams pretty much every year. Went to the Stanley Cup final in 2016. I mean, it's a team, you know, he, he's been spoiled, right? And, and that's when you look at the Coyotes who've had a tough time in the non-traditional market in terms of on-ice success, you look at the San Jose Sharks who in a non, non-traditional market, quote-unquote, have had pretty much years of success since day one. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, with Andrew, uh, we also know that he covers the, uh, the Sun Devil NCAA hockey team as well. So uh, he'll have some insight on that. Part of the reason I wanted to bring him on, just not just to visit with him, but to uh, ask him a little bit about his Q&A that he did for uh, the House of Sparky with uh, Joey Decord. So we're looking forward to that. Also being a big, uh, as you already mentioned, a Sharks fan and grew up a Sharks fan. I want to ask him a little bit about Princeton uh, Passionate going to the Sharks. And, and then we'll talk a little bit about hockey in general. So before we bring Andrew on, though, just give me some thoughts uh, over the last week or so. A lot of rumblings again about what's going to happen in sports. Anything changed from your perspective? No, um, I, not that I've seen, right? Like, I don't think there's been anything that makes me think they're going to play anytime soon. Now, a lot of states are beginning to open up, right? Here in Arizona, Doug Ducey's stay-at-home order ends on Friday, May 1st. That's this upcoming Friday. So it'll be interesting to see what that looks like. Uh, but the tough part is, is this isn't, you know, say a league like the NWHL where there's six teams and it's pretty concentrated in, in the East Coast and in Minnesota. This is you have 30 teams across a bunch of states and provinces, and it's going to be up to all of the states, you know, whether sports are going to be played, right? Like the LA Times reported a couple of weeks ago that uh, the mayor of Los Angeles had said no sports or concerts till 2021. So what are you going to play the NHL season and say, sorry, California, like you can't finish. You're not going to get any of the league revenue if, if there's any generated, right? If they restart the season and I get, traveling to a central location and, and playing a lot of those games in a central location. But are the teams, especially a team like the California teams who were well out of the playoffs, Detroit, Ottawa, are they going to be willing to spend that money when they're truly not even going to make money, right? Like the hockey is a business, even though it's a sport and people want, you know, the players want to win the Stanley Cup. At the end of the day, it's a business. And these owners, especially an owner like Eugene Melnick of the Senators, who's, been notor- notoriously stingy isn't going to 
why is Team Outen provide payment for staff, whether it be broadcasters, training staff, uh, all of those things, if, you know, they're going to play four games and, you know, they're way out of it. So there's still a lot of hills to overcome. I just, as much as I like the idea of, of finishing a season in a central location, I just don't know if it's possible, right? Like places like New York seem months away from reopening. California has talked about nothing until 2021. Like that's, I mean, between New York and California, you have five-year teams that are located out there, right? Like it's just, I just don't know. That's one-sixth. That's one-sixth of your league that isn't going to be allowed to have public gatherings probably until 2021. So I just don't see how they're going to do it, especially if uh, you're kind of far enough to where like, well, I know you want to hand out a Stanley Cup, but you might just have to cancel it this year. And uh, that's time. And maybe you put some conditions on on draft picks, right? Like, because there's a lot of teams that traded at the deadline to get themselves a, you know, a player. Take a look at Tampa, right? They traded a first to get Barclay Goodrow. They traded to get uh, Blake Coleman out of New Jersey. Like, you're you're looking at these situations where. Do you want the, you know, these teams are probably going to ask for compensation, right? Well, the only reason we trade for these players, and obviously the teams that gave up the players aren't going to budge that easy, but, you know, maybe it's okay. If, well, if you re-sign that guy or if the guy's under contract for another year, you don't get your pick back. But if, you know, I don't know. Again, I don't necessarily see that happening, but I know that's something that's probably going to have to be discussed and that's going to be tough for teams like Boston. You know, Boston didn't necessarily trade this season, but teams like Tampa who, who bought in. So um, be interesting to see what what's done in that aspect, but I just don't see how they're going to be able to finish the season when one-sixth of the league, the home cities aren't going to be allowed uh, really outside of their own state. Yeah, totally agree. And one thing you brought up that I don't think a lot of people have mentioned is we know what's going on with, uh, with the NFL, right? They just had their draft and such, but when we talk about the uh, the NHL and even the NBA to a certain extent, you're talking about another country when you talk about the Canadian teams, and they have their own restrictions and rules and regulations. So, it, you know, uh, next week we're going to have Jesse Granger on from The Athletic in Las Vegas, and Jesse did a recent story regarding uh, Las Vegas being a possibility for a neutral site. Well, Las Vegas isn't even fully opened at this point. So as far as that happens, who knows? But I'm going to be interested to get his perspective as well. But when I talk, you know, about the hockey that's going on right now, we're talking just about hypothetics, right? I mean, this could happen. This could happen. This might happen. We don't know. And nobody really knows. So we just kind of have to wait it out, which is why I've been saying, and like you're saying as well, let's, let's just, drop this season, let's just say COVID-19 won, and uh, let's try to get back on track so we can have as close to a normal season next year, including a draft or whatever we have to do. There's ways to fix that. I mean, I thought the NHL draft went off fantastically, and the ratings were uh, equally as good. Yeah, and I think, again, like I said, I think the tough part here is that I just don't know how teams are going to react, right? Like a lot of teams traded to, to get guys. And again, um, I, 
that that's where you're going to get the biggest argument, right? Like, I think you're going to say, okay, well, we couldn't finish our season. So why are we going to be able to let a play, you know, these players walk, especially for teams that traded for one year guy, one year rentals. And the other side of that argument is, well, these guys part, you know, they get traded and part of that kind of lore of getting traded like that is, okay, well, I'm going to hit the free agent market and cash in. So if they do something where they say, well, the last year of these contracts are void, you know, you just have to replay them. Like a lot of these guys are going to miss on some bigger payday. So you're going to run into a situation like that too, where uh, you, it, it's going to get sticky. I think it's going to be a very sticky situation. It'll be interesting to see how teams and, and how fan or uh, how teams and, and GMs and the league really reacts to kind of the, the fallout from this. This isn't just a, okay, we'll pick up your sticks and let's go. Right. Like, you're at a point now where May 1st is on Friday and clearly we're not going to have any hockey before, you know, any decision, I think, before May, May 1st. So a lot of players are saying it's going to be between two or four weeks to even get back into playing in game shape. So you, at this point, it, it's no hockey till June. Like you, you're not going to see any NHL hockey till at, at least June. And at a certain point, as we've talked about over the last three to four weeks, I know it gets old, but like there's going to be a certain, there's a drop dead date where you just can't even like, what are you going to, you're going to pick up in October to finish this last season. Like, I mean, it, it makes sense and it's a little more realistic, but okay. So you still hold your draft in July. Well, are those players that you draft eligible to play in the finished 2020 season? Like all of a sudden you're going to have, you know, teams are only allowed to have 50 contracts on their roster. All of a sudden you're going to have this kind of weird, weird situation where some teams are going to have, you know, highlight rookies, right? Like with Detroit, they're going to most likely draft Lafreniere if they're, if they win the lottery and, you know, they'd obviously love to see him in NHL action if they finished after the draft. Well, that can't happen, right? Cause it's not the season he's in. So all of a sudden the language in these contracts are going to be really odd. It's just, there's a lot of, I think, legalities that sometimes you just don't even think about until something like this happens and you start adding everything up. And not, I'm not saying I don't have faith in the league, but they'd be able to handle this. Like, I think they have great, I'm sure they have great lawyers and, and great people, you know, at the helm. It's just, I, I just don't see how it's done smoothly and without making a lot of teams upset. Yep. Couldn't agree with you more on that as well. And, you know, when we look at, uh, things around hockey without being games played. You look at the Vegas, for example, I'm going to go up there on Friday, God willing, that uh, make the trip up there for the day and come back just to check out the, uh, the facilities that's still scheduled to open the practice facility for the AHL franchise, which we uh, believe is going to be the uh, Henderson silver Knights. That facility is supposed to open October one. And uh, the pictures that I've seen is it's well on track to do that. They're still doing uh, work on uh, trying to come up with uh, the confirmed location for the uh, 6,000 seat arena, which will be the actual home of the uh, Henderson Silver Knights, we'll call them. And, uh, you know, the crazy thing about it, Seth, is that it's just so weird that these arenas are being built and going on with no games being played. And and we don't really know when that's going to happen. But, you know, I guess kudos to Vegas for continuing to build, right? Yeah, and that's another thing is, sure, the facility is scheduled to open October 1, and, and they're hoping that it will, and, you know, oh, well, you know, they'll pay the money to make sure the construction gets done quickly, but what if the city isn't open? What if construction isn't allowed, right? Like, 
construction and, and sports and entertainment and all this stuff is at the will of the governors and, and the city mayors. And, you know, if, if they say no and based off of health officials, like it's a no. And that's things that, again, I'm sure the Vegas Golden Knights and the National Hockey League and the American Hockey League have considered and, and I'm sure have come up with contingency plans. Like I said, I, I'm not unconfident in the league that they can handle situations like this, but, you know, all of a sudden it throws a wrench into these things, right? Like, okay, so what happens with the Seattle expansion draft, right? Like if they say, okay, well, there's not another year on these contracts, like that's going to affect players being held and, and eligibility for the expansion draft. Like this all of a sudden throws a huge wrench into everything, not just can we finish the season or, you know, are the Golden Knights able to get their practice facility up and up and running? Like it's just a, it's really just affecting everything. And this is the worst time for the NHL, right? No other league in North America is expanding within the next five years and probably ever, to be quite honest. But the NHL is doing its best to grow. And, and this is really throwing a wrench between, you know, revenue and, and the escrow the players might have to pay back. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where, like, it's. I think this is really going to upset a lot of people, not just, like front office, like, you know, the revenue obviously isn't going to come in as projected for the end of the season, seeing they lost the last month and a half and their biggest moneymaker, the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. And it's one of those things where, you know, the escrow with, with the way that's paid out, you know, the players in a, the collective bargaining agreement are given, you know, they, they get a certain amount of the money, which I think is, 60 percent actually maybe 40 percent excuse me and um you know if if that combined player pool is more than 40 percent you know some of those bigger contracts say uh a jonathan taze a patrick kane a duncan key i mean i know those are just blackhawks but those are some of the bigger contracts i can think of i mean brent burns or Tony panarin those guys have to pay some of that money back because of the collective bargaining agreement and that's really going to rub some of those players the wrong way so uh It'll be interesting, especially with the CBA coming out. And again, you want to talk about the way it affects the future. The CBA, you know, they're going to have to have negotiations about that. That ends next season. All of a sudden, like, you know, you got to walk a really thin line here because if you make the players upset, they can easily just, you know, slam the door in your face at the bargaining table and say, well, you know, you guys screwed us over back during COVID. You know, why are we going to negotiate with you? Why are we going to, you know, try to – you know, make sacrifices for these owners, right? So, like, all of a sudden you're walking a really thin line because now labor negotiations and labor peace is coming up soon. Uh, just a really weird time for this to happen in the NHL. Probably the worst time it possibly could happen. So, just a lot of things to kind of think about. And, it, like, the more we talk about it, Scott, like, the more I think of things, like, we'll get off a podcast episode and then all of a sudden I, pretty much every, every post-show I'm spending an hour just – on Google, looking up some of these other things, right? Like I think post-show, I'm going to start looking up some of this labor piece and, and the history of, of what happened, right? I mean, two lockouts within eight years is not favorable for the NHL. They don't want to go through, you know, if, if they go into another lockout, that's three lockouts in 18 years. That's not good for your team. And I know, or your sport, and I know in 2012, 2013, they ended up playing a half season, but still it, it rubbed fans the wrong way when they locked out again for the second time in eight years. So a lot of a lot of interesting things coming up uh, following it, not just a return to play and let's get the Stanley Cup handed out. 
Well, I couldn't agree with you more. Let's take a couple minute break and hear from some of our sponsors, including our corporate partner of the week, which is College Bar and Grill right here in Tempe, Arizona. And then we will come back and hopefully we'll have Andrew Bell ready to go and take it from there. So Seth and I will be right back in just a minute. I can't wait to get to Las Vegas and check out the fortress. Going to see the Golden Knights? No, stopping at Jesse Ray's barbecue for lunch. Oh, that fortress. That combination of brisket, hot links, fries, mac and cheese, surrounded by a fence of ribs? I'm in. Exactly. Jesse Ray's Barbecue, located at 5611 South Valley View Boulevard, right behind the Mandalay Bay Hotel. Check out their pulled pork, smoked chicken, or the fall off the bone baby back ribs. Jesse Ray's Barbecue has been voted the best barbecue in Las Vegas two years running. So whether it's a midday meal or a pregame feast, head to Jesse Ray's Barbecue for all their award-winning tastes. Hometown Hockey Team, your Western Collegiate Hockey League Champions, your Arizona Wildcats. Tickets for Arizona Hockey are now on sale. Support your Wildcats as they battle ASU for another Cactus Cup Championship and more at the Tucson Arena. Your Hockey Team, your Arizona Wildcats. Call 791-4101 for tickets now. like a pro post game like a champion at college bar and grill located across the street from the iconic a mountain and sun devil stadium and a quick walk from wells fargo arena college bar and grill is your home for the best local craft beer delicious creative cocktails tasty food and tempe's best atmosphere for arizona state athletics college bar and grill free game like a pro post game like a champion online at ilovecollege.co Behind the Mask Hockey Shop, celebrating 25 years of exceptional service to the Arizona hockey community. Offering the top brands and an educated staff of hockey players to help you choose the right gear for you. Visit any one of our three Valley locations or check us out online at BehindTheMask.com. At the heart of any good cocktail is the quality of the spirit used. And if you want to make the best margaritas, Long Island iced teas, or if you just want a straight shot of the best tasting tequila, then Roger Klein's Mexican Moonshine is the brand for you. The award-winning Roger Klein's Mexican Moonshine has the taste you want to make perfectly blended cocktails. Whether celebrating an overtime game winner with friends or relaxing by the pool after a long work day, find your bottle, be it in Arizona or elsewhere in the U.S. Visit us at MexicanMoonshine.com. Roger Klein's Mexican Moonshine, award-winning taste since 2011. Hey, Michael here from M-Drive. My dad, a world-class scientist, actually made M-Drive for himself to stay active and continue enjoying life. And yes, M-Drive supports healthy testosterone, but it's so much more. M-Drive is the everyday supplement to fuel your drive with more energy and more strength. Listen, we'd love for you to try M-Drive too. Visit mdriveformen.com and we'll give you 20% off your first purchase. Just type in the code DRIVE at checkout. Refine your prime with M-Drive. All right, and we're back. Scott Strandy live in Scottsdale, Arizona. 
we have uh, Seth Askelson joining me in North Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, pleased to welcome in our good friend, and the house of Sparky, the uh, the voice of everything that is hockey in the desert southwest, the native of San Jose, California, Andrew Bell is with us. Andrew, welcome in. Seth and Scott with you this evening. First of all, how are you? How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, thank you so much for having me on the show tonight. And uh, yeah, sorry about that. I had a little bit of technical difficulties logging on here, but glad to be on. Thank you for having me. Well, that's always that's always the case with us with Podbean. Whenever we bring somebody on the first time, we love the format, but it's usually uh, usually a challenge to get on. So I'm glad you're able to get on and talk some hockey with us. Uh, the first thing I wanted to mention uh, about you was the House of Sparky article that you did with Joey Decord, a, a Q and A. I thought it was excellent. I thought it was great to revisit Joey. So give us a little rundown about how that all came about and, and just how happy you were to be able to talk hockey with uh, Joey Decord, the first NHLer from uh, ASU. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for uh, for the compliment. And, yeah, uh, getting in touch with Joey, um, you know, it was one of those things where it's an interesting time from a uh, sports writer's perspective or just anyone who's working in sports media, as I'm sure you can attest to, Scott. Um, and Seth as well but um, you know just looking for content we still have to post content content on our uh, site and get kind of a weekly quota and so um, we've been digging in the archives kind of and thinking of different ideas that we've been doing to you know just keep the content relevant and the site keep on going so um, got in touch with Joey and um, he was um, great for the Q&A spent a decent amount of time talking to him just about how his first season went and he was nice enough to give me a lot of great answers and so yeah it was good to catch up with him as one of those things where um, I think in a time like this where there's not really sports I think everyone's trying to reflect on kind of the glory days or you know those ESPN classic games so um, you know getting a chance to talk to Joey about his time at ASU and then having him play his first AHL season I think was uh it's really awesome and um, I was just gracious enough that he came on. And I think that's another thing I'm going to be continuing to do, not only with hockey, but just with the House of Sparky site over the next couple of weeks is trying to connect with some alumni, some former players, um, get some interviews that this year, um, you know, what they have to say about their time as a, as a Sun Devil. And Joey Decord was one of the first people to talk to. Yeah, you know, I couldn't. Yeah, Andrew Hayes. Oh. Hold on one second, Seth. I just want a quick follow up and then I'll let you jump in. <laughs> I always like to cut him off because that's what I do to Seth, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, okay. <laughs> so I just wanted to say we all know that Joey loves to talk, and I'm sure that was no problem filling up uh, plenty of Q&A questions. But uh, obviously he had a great season, and, and he's doing well, uh, not only in the progression up the ladder of professional hockey, but he's also doing well uh, as far as COVID too, correct? Oh yeah, he's he's doing well. He was uh, good when he was talking on the phone, and um, yeah, just right as I actually right as I gave him a call, he was uh, just wrapping up a uh, a workout that he was doing back home in Massachusetts. So yeah, he's keeping busy, trying to stay in shape, um, and definitely an interesting time not only as for hockey players and athletes in general, but I imagine especially for goaltenders trying to stay in a uh, game shape when and if they do get the call to come back. Uh, Andrew, it's Seth. Um, so you got a chance to, to talk to Joey Decord, and then we've also seen uh, Brinson Pashner also sign um, his deal with the San Jose Sharks. All of a sudden, you're seeing ASU, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say turn into a college hockey factory of NHL players, but within five years, 
they've had two players sign NHL deals and one has already played a National Hockey League game. What do you think the trajectory is for ASU hockey when it comes to professional hockey players? Are they still going to increase or are they still going to have only like one or two per year where, you know, it's going to be at that level for the next 10 to 15 years? I think it's one of those cases where it's the trajectory trajectory is trending upwards in regards to professional players. Uh, I know Scott was on the Zoom call with Brinson a couple weeks ago, and uh, one of the highlights kind of that Zoom call, um, besides Brinson talking, was Coach Powers talking about the uh, the new arena that's coming in 2022, talking about the wall of uh, NHL players that's going to go up. And it's an interesting dynamic with ASU because obviously it's such a young program that um, guys are going to have an opportunity to be – um, you know, be the first ones on that wall. And obviously Joey DeCord will likely be up there. Um, Brinson Pasternak possibly in the near future. And uh, I even, I mean, my prediction right now, I know I've talked with Scott about this before just being out at the rink, but I think the uh, the next obvious, I wouldn't say obvious, but next choice I would have um, to see probably a Sun Devil in the NHL is probably going to be uh, Brinson Pasternak's defense partner, Josh Maniscalco. I know he had a couple offers. Um, Greg Cameron reported that. He's also, I know, a friend of the podcast. Um, and But he reported that earlier this year that um, Josh Maniscalco had a few uh, free agent offers at the end of the season and um, had a lot of eyes looking at him this year. And so I'd say he'd be the next one. And I imagine there's more guys to come. You think of young players who already had an impact like um, Jack Judson, uh, Jacob Semek, guys who you know are still young but can definitely grow and develop over the next couple of years. So I think that trend of guys going pro in the NHL, uh, it's not going to slow down anytime soon. I think you're going to see a lot more Sun Devils, uh, especially once their recruiting continues to pick up um, when the new stadium comes along or new arena. You know, Andrew, we uh, talked briefly, uh, Seth and I did before the show, uh, before we brought you on the show, and we were talking about just the state of professional hockey and we both have our opinions as far as what we think is going to happen. What's your gut feeling as far as where the season is going to end uh, in the NHL? Uh, you know, I think it's just such a difficult time to predict kind of what's going to happen with the uh, with the NHL season. I'd give it – I will say the clock is ticking. I think it would be um, maybe around – July. I don't think the because I know um, getting a chance not only how Sparky but being with Sports 360 AZ and doing some Coyote stuff and being on some of their Zoom calls with various players. Um, I know that's been a question that's been brought up is if you bring the season back in July, um, if you bring it back in July or August, you're going to have a shorter off season, and um, if you maybe rush guys back, is there a risk for injury? Um, is there no recovery time, and you see the after effects going into the next season? Um, so it's definitely going to be, I feel like, a conversation that the league office has and something that they're going to have to discuss. So um, an interesting time. I, I wouldn't necessarily put any timeline just because I'm not in those meetings. and I can't specify, but I'd say um, once it hits about mid-July and things um, you know, are still going back and forth, uh, I think that might be the time when you see a cancellation of the season, which I, I know all three of us would hate to see that. Um, but I think there's only so much time, and if you push into August, um, you may be risking guys getting injured. And, of course, you ask the players, they'll play anywhere, anytime, um, regardless of health or anything like that. So uh, I'm sure they're eager to play. I think the best scenario um, would be play in an arena with no fans, but then there's other measures that have to go into place. So I know I've seen Major League Baseball talking about, well, if, if we all – play in arizona um you know how, what's the hotel situation going to be like there's just so many outlying factors um it's just such an interesting time for not only 
the NHL, the MLB, um, maybe the NFL next coming months, depending on how everything goes. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more on that one. Um, my opinion, I think Seth and I kind of agree on this one, but uh, we both feel like, you know, if they don't get started relatively soon, it might be better to just say COVID-19 won the, uh, the season and let's just put it, uh, put it to bed and try to start off, uh, you know, July or the end of June with the draft and the July rookie camps and stuff like that and just proceed from there. But Seth brings up an interesting point and I'll let him touch on it in just a minute. Um, you know, there's so many legalities with it, with players' contracts and, and guys that were traded at the deadline and uh, free agency and all of those things, years of service. So that's an interesting point as well. Have you given that any thought at all, too, as far as where that might lie? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting dynamic. Um, and like Seth brings up a good point in that sense is, um, you know, what is going to happen to these guys' contracts at the end of the season? There's a lot to be discussed, not only if the season is canceled, but you know, how much are you paying certain guys? And then the other thing I think about in addition to that is draft picks. A lot of um, trades that happen at the deadline, you know, you're either buyers or sellers at the deadline and teams um, have certain, you know, situations in their contracts where um, maybe they move up or move down in the draft depending on how another team does. Um, you think of a situation like the Sharks had with the Eric Carlson deal and um, the draft and what the Senators pick will look like. So um, there's a lot of outlying factors. And I think about the draft, I know it's already been pushed back, um, but say the season is canceled, what happens to those deals? I think they're ongoing discussions and I'm sure the office right now um, has a lot on their plate just in that regard of trying to come up uh, with the proper situation. And I think it's imperfect um, regardless. I know whatever happens with the draft and players contracts, um, at the end of the day, there's going to be someone saying, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, that's that's dumb or whatever. And it's really – it's kind of a, a just a tough situation. It's imperfect for the league to be put in. And Coach Tockett talked about that as well on one of his Zoom calls a, a couple weeks back, just saying that, um, you know, they were talking about the playoff format, and this doesn't relate to the draft, but they're talking about the playoff format. And they said, well, what happens if – Playoffs started as soon as they start back up. They just cut the twelve remaining games. You go straight into the playoffs. And Coach Tockett said, "Well, you know, it would be tough because you know his team wouldn't be in there." But at the end of the day, it's an imperfect situation, and there's only so much that um, the league can do, uh, you know, given the circumstances of what's going on right now. So I think there's a lot going to be a lot of naysayers, regardless. Uh, but like I said, it's just a really tough situation to be put into, and it's going to take a whole collaborative effort and a lot of good minds. Um, you know, trying to come up with the right thing to do. You're right, Andrew. I think nobody's going to be 100% happy, but I think the most important part in this is that the players are happy and because uh, just looked it up right now, Scott and I talked about this before the last break, but uh, the CBA expires in two years. It ends at the 2021-2022 uh, season. Uh, this is a league that's had two lockouts in eight years and could be staring down uh, three lockouts in 17 years. Uh, I know the biggest, I think, point of contention you see with players is the escrow and, and a lot of those bigger contracts and bigger name guys having to pay money back to the owners, you know, to keep things even in terms of the CBA. What do you think? I mean, I don't think any of us have the perfect solution, but what do you think the perfect, the best solution is, is make the players happy because I can, I can foresee that this is going to be a really sticky situation in a couple of years, especially if the players feel that they weren't treated right. 
And then all of a sudden you got to get into the room and, and you're at the negotiation table. So how do you think in terms of trying to make sure your labor talks are still, you know, in good tact come two years that this gets resolved? I think it's going to take a buy-in from, it's funny you hear that saying all the time with hockey players about playing on the ice about, you know, buying in and all that. But I think in this situation, it's going to take a buy-in and just a compromise between both sides. I think um, the players, I, I mean, I'm sure they don't want to hear it and they, you know, wouldn't want to do this, but I think they're going to have to eventually cough up some money just from their contracts. And where it gets so complex is you got, guys with really big deals on each of these teams, these franchise players, and how much money are they losing because they're not playing a season? How much goes back to the owners? And so it's a really complex situation. You mentioned that 2021-2022 season trying to avoid maybe, um, you know, uh, backlash from the players or another lockout. And so I think it's going to take a compromise between both sides. I think it's going to take a lot of hours of discussion and trying to figure out um, what works best for everybody else and at the end of the day what's going to put money back on the table when um, teams and fans are allowed back in these venues and money and revenues coming in so um, I think it's going to take a full compromise and I think it's going to take um, players maybe coughing up a little bit of money we'll have to see and I like I said I can't speak to that right now there's still so much that's undetermined and hasn't been determined um, but I think it's going to take um, the players at least coughing up maybe a little bit of money depending on you know, how long this goes and what we're dealing with. You know, we talk about how long this goes. I'm glad you brought that point up because when this first started, I think we've gone through phases, right? The first phase is probably just shock and pure, you know, disbelief in what was really happening to the entire world, not just the sports world. But when you think back and you go, okay, well, we've got through a couple of weeks and it was disbelief. And then all of a sudden reality set in. We heard that from Vincent Pashnuk in his Zoom uh, conference as well, uh, that he, you know, had agreed to terms but hadn't actually signed anything yet and didn't know when he would play his first game. And and now we're, by my count, guys, I think we're seven starting the seventh week of a stay-at-home order. And now it's getting to the point of confusion. And I wonder if the next level is frustration. Your thoughts, uh, both of you? Yeah, I think um, from a frustration perspective, I think you're already seeing it. Um, you know, if you just look at a political standpoint from some of the protests that are happening uh, with the economy and the way everything is, you know, trajecting right now. But I think frustration will set in, especially, you know, if next season does have to be canceled or pushed back even more. I think you'll start to see frustration. And I, I think from the players' perspective, I think they have a pretty good understanding of the world comes first and, um, people's lives come first um, but I think you're going to see the real frustration not necessarily from the players I think the players will be itching just to get on the ice and go play I think that's without saying um, you know they're just going to be itching to get back and probably doing everything in their power to do so but I think the real frustration you're going to see is from um, from fans I'd say that's probably the biggest area you're probably going to see it of just wanting hockey back um, and thinking that because you know with the way things are going um if the numbers start to drop i think that's and you know things still aren't happening i think that's when you'll start to see real frustration um you know just among the fans like i said i think the players are okay um but just from you know the fan perspective i think that's you're going to see some of that uneasiness i think you make a really good point andrew about uh, the economy and the fans but i think another problem with that is are people going to have the disposable income they once did 
to go to hockey games, right? I think what you saw in the 2008 uh, crash of, of the economy, the housing market in particular, I think a lot of people got scared with their money, right? Like, I don't know what's going to happen with my money, so I'm not going to spend it. And I think part of the reason that really hurt the Coyotes, um, they kind of went through a lot of bad things at the wrong time, right? The file for bankruptcy in the middle of the economic downturn and the Great Recession. So um, I think, you know, as you saw people get more disposable income, I think you saw the Coyotes' attendance grow. Um, so not only the Coyotes, but some of those non-traditional markets that struggle to draw fans, right? Uh, especially as related to success. You think about a Florida, um, most particularly, and, and we've seen teams in the past, teams that are successful now, Tampa Bay and Dallas in particular, who when they're bad, nobody goes, but when they're good, everybody, you know, it's the hottest ticket in town. So um, I think that could really hurt kind of the bottom line once everything gets back. Uh, you know, a lot of people still have, at least on social media voice, that they haven't gotten their $1,200 stimulus check from the government yet. And a lot of people still have to pay bills. So I think this is not only something like, yeah, fans are issuing to get back and, and sure the TV ratings will probably be through the roof once they get back. But in terms of, of live attendance and, and making money on your gates and your concessions and people buying stuff from the store, that could really hurt things as well. Um, maybe even kind of stagnate the salary cap a little bit. I don't think they'd ever bring the salary cap down. I think there's too many big contracts that would hurt a lot of teams if they tried to nudge it down because of a lack of, of revenue. But um, this is definitely going to hurt a team like the Coyotes where – they thought they were going to get an extra four or five million dollars in cap room with a bump, and all of a sudden, it, it seems like the longer this goes on, that the salary cap is going to stay at that eighty-one million dollars, which hurts trying to re-sign a guy like Taylor Hall. So um, that's the thing: is not only are people frustrated that hockey isn't back, but when it's back, are they going to be willing to to spend um, if they have any extra income on on hockey tickets, especially when? I wouldn't necessarily say in Arizona. I think Arizona has some of the most reasonable hockey ticket prices. But um, one day I was curious. I said, what's the cheapest ticket at MSG for a Rangers game? It was 130 bucks to, to touch, the, touch the top of the ceiling. Like, you know, in some of these places, the tickets are expensive. And, and so it'll be interesting to see how willing people are to go out and, and actually spend the money at games. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, before we wrap things up with Andrew, let's. Uh, I want you guys to put on your fan hats now and take off the media hat for a minute. If the season were to resume and the discussion that's been out there recently, and next week we'll have Jesse Granger on from the Athletic from Las Vegas, who's done an awful lot of work on researching um, where games would be played if they did four neutral sites or whatever, and Vegas was one of them that was talked about. So we'll, we'll you know pick his brain a little bit next week, but as a fan, I'm going to give you guys three cities. I'll take Vegas because I cover them. Seth, you take the Coyotes, and Andrew, I want you to take your hometown San Jose Sharks. Let's start with you. As a fan, would you like to see them in a neutral site for this season, or would you prefer that it just all came to a halt if they couldn't play at home? For me personally, I think um, you know, I think it the Sharks are a huge part of San Jose and the economy and the city there. And I think a lot of people um, similar to Vegas and a lot of other West Coast franchises like the Kings and the Ducks is a huge part of the city and, uh, you know, the economy. But I think 
I personally would have no problem with seeing all the Pacific Division play at a neutral site just to see the sport back. And from a health standpoint, I think that's the best way the best way to go, even with empty fans in San Jose, um, you know, is one of the most, I, want, I don't want to say devastated, but they were hit pretty hard at the beginning of this pandemic. The rates have started to slow now. Um, but in the Bay Area specifically, if you're talking about the Sharks, um, I think I'd actually prefer seeing a neutral site. Um, obviously, the money is not coming in for the city of San Jose, whether it be, um, you know, with local restaurants or uh with local restaurants before games or concessions and everything that goes into that and going to a Sharks game at uh, SAP Center, I think I would want to see, you know, a neutral side just from a health perspective and a safety perspective. Um, and the fact that San Jose and Santa Clara County specifically where they're located was hit pretty hard at the beginning. It's different. Um, I know in Arizona, the numbers haven't been as bad. They're starting to spike a little bit. Um, but in San Jose specifically, if I was just going from that perspective, I'd say I'd be all for a neutral site game and trying to quarantine players and keep them and fans safe as possible. All right, Seth, from the Coyotes' uh, perspective, I'm what a, would you say? Yeah, I don't know if, if I'm in the same boat in terms of, of finishing the season, especially for a team like the Coyotes. Like, sure, they've got a little more financial security with with uh, Alex Merlo and having a billionaire owner and, and having all that stuff, but you still got to – Pay more staff, right? Like I think I think people don't understand when it comes to sports that you you probably spend I don't know close to a hundred million dollars, maybe even one hundred and fifty million dollars on payroll, right? Like the players, the max there is eighty one million. That's the salary cap, but you're paying coaches, trainers, assistant coaches, equipment managers, you know, people that schedule the hotel, like logistics people, social media. Like you have all of these people. And, you know, I, you want those people to be in work and you want them to get paid. Right. But I just don't know, especially with Alex Miller, who's, you know, now I don't, whose other businesses aren't running right now. He's not gaining revenue from anything. Like, are you going to turn into a situation where, okay, you open hockey back up and you pay all these people, then all of a sudden you're not getting any revenue, but you're still paying people to, to play and, you know, put out content and, be trainers and build a brand and um not only is it the coyotes but i think maybe some other teams that are struggling financially say florida uh auto has been known to be as we talked about a little a little stingy in the past eugene melnick i just think some of these teams aren't going to be on board just because of the financial strains and the nhl is going to have to put out a an interesting or a, a way for some of those teams to get that revenue right but how do you make revenue you already have a set amount of money coming from TV contracts. So that money's already, you know, it gets distributed at the end of the year, but hypothetically that number stays set. Um, you're, you're not going to make any money from concessions. You're not going to make any money from tickets. And I don't even think it's just the standpoint of, you know, some of the financially weaker teams. I think it's just a lot of teams, right? Why are the Red Wings going to pay all this money to fly all that staff out just to, you know, get kicked around for 12 more games and then fly back home? Like, Hockey is a business and playing at neutral sites doesn't make sense from a business standpoint because you're not going to make any money. So I don't know. Do you risk spending all that money to get more TV, right? To get more TV ratings, even though that money is pretty much set in terms of, you know, how much they're going to get. Obviously it fluctuates a little bit depending on advertisers and things like that, but 
from a business sense, I just don't know how it makes sense for almost any team in the National Hockey League to, to go through with a neutral site team. So I don't know if I'm in favor of it because you're, you know, you kind of sacrificing the now for the later. Because I think once hockey comes back for the first, maybe even the first season, I mean, people might not have the money to get tickets long term, but you're telling me that even in Arizona, when hockey comes back, it's going to be a madhouse trying to get in that arena. Like people are want it back so bad that I think it's almost one of those things like um, in, you know, kind of a weird competitor, but in professional wrestling, right? Like you, you have this build to this big, this big event that everybody wants to see. Like, I think that's what the NHL should take the approach in terms of you build to, okay, we start next season and we're going to open our doors. We're going to play a full 82 game season. We're going to go off and running. And I think, to sacrifice the now business-wise just to play a few games and hand out a Stanley Cup that I think a lot of players are starting to express, like, it's not going to feel like a real Stanley Cup, especially with no fans in the stands. Um, I just don't – I don't know if it's worth it. Okay, you opened up a whole bunch of things on that one. So the first thing I'm going to address is being a former North Star fan and uh, watching them leave for Dallas – it was a state of disbelief for us. We didn't think that would ever happen, being a Minnesotan. It just wasn't ever going to happen, right? And it did. And being without hockey for those number of years until the Wild came back, um, and you saw what happened, right? When you, To your point, Seth, about uh, people being starved for hockey, Minnesotans were starved for hockey, and I believe they've sold out every game um, since they came back as the Minnesota Wild. So that's proof that, you take something away that somebody loves and, and they get it back uh, and they don't want to ever let it go again. So, so I see that perspective from the Vegas perspective. Uh, it's different because Vegas is so new to hockey, professional hockey. And now you see them building rinks. They got, like, we've already talked about the two um, practice sheets that are going up. Uh, and when you sit back and think of what's happened since we started ice time hockey Southwest five years ago, Vegas has accumulated T-Mobile Arena, two sheets at City National, two more sheets coming in at Henderson, and a 6,000-seat arena coming in at Henderson in a couple of years. So all of those ice sheets have happened within a five-year period. It, it, it's strange. So if, if Vegas were to become a neutral site, I think you'd have a couple of problems with it. The games could be played at T-Mobile quite easily, and the hotels obviously are no problem. But I think the fans would probably be storming the building trying to get in, which would create another situation outside. And I don't know if, uh, if the NHL is – I'm sure they have, but I don't know if they really thought about what you're going to do with that. You can keep them out, obviously, with security, but what are you going to do with the outside? I mean, you know what Vegas is like, right? Both of you guys know that when you, you walk down the strip. When it's open, it's packed, right? Yeah, I mean, Vegas is – um, one of those cities, like you said, where you, there's so many outlying factors um, just outside of the arena. And I think it's going to be, you know, like you said, tough to maintain. Um, it's one thing to get everybody in the venue, but I think it's one, it's going to be tough. Like you said, to contain it outside um, when everything does open up or, um, you know, depending on what the situation is and what uh, is going on at a, uh, at a city level and just reopening things in Nevada. So it's, it's going to be interesting. Seth, your thoughts. 
Yeah, I agree. I didn't even think about the part of people trying to storm the building, right? And I think you're going to see that happen a lot. I think uh, you're seeing these protests, these protests nationwide, right? Like these stay-at-home orders obviously aren't working for some people, and you know, I, no fan's going to get in, right? They're going to keep that locked. But I think you're going to have a situation where, you know, you see the Coyotes post game. You'll see people kind of line up by where they leave, uh, where they drive out their cars. And, you know, the players stop and they sign autographs and say hello. I think I fear there's going to be a situation like that where people are just going to pack the loading docks, uh, wherever these neutral sites may be, and they're going to try to get autographs and, and see these players. And obviously it's going to be a lot more contained and a lot more secure, but you're going to have those issues with people trying to peer in through windows and, and try to get a glimpse of these players. So you're almost – it's almost like – you have to play these neutral site games at, at some of these smaller towns. I know North Dakota was floated out there, but you try to bring it, like you said, with Vegas. I mean, with how rabid that fan base is, why wouldn't they try to get in, right? Why wouldn't they try to stand outside the Logan Dock and get autographs and, and say hello? And I know, I think the players would be appreciative of that, right? Like how, how supportive they are, but all of a sudden you're putting your uh, another public health risk out there and, and people standing in large groups together when that is clearly not what needs to be happening right now. So um, you bring up a really good point, Scott. Like I, it, it almost goes beyond just player safety. Like all of a sudden you have public safety if people are trying to go to the arena and stand outside and peer in and, and all that stuff. Well, my thought is, is strictly this. If you were to take, for example, Vegas and make that the neutral site for the Pacific Division, for example, um, think of the competition when the season ended, just how good the teams were in the Pacific, right? I mean, Connor McDavid and, and, and everybody that you have from Calgary and everybody you have from Vancouver and San Jose and the Kings and, and the Golden Knights and the Coyotes, you put them all together and their fan bases all together. And if they're free to go to Vegas, even though they can't get in, I mean, I, trust me, I've been to enough Golden Knights games to know that there's several thousand people that can't get in when they take 18,000 into the arena. So how are you going to keep those people social distanced? I mean, there's not enough army uh, or armed guards anywhere to, to settle that down. So that's why my thought is the NHL should just look at it as a lost cause for this year. I know that's a tough thing to, to swallow, but you know, just focus on the draft like the NA, the uh, NFL did and uh, make that a big event um, done like it was with the NFL and get everybody's excitement built up again for for the season and then start the season as it is. I mean, everybody's in the same boat, right? It's not like one team lost players to, to a horrific accident or something. It's every team is affected the same way. So that's my closing thought. I think that's uh, what should happen is they should just put it all aside and focus on the draft and starting up next year on time, if at all possible. Final word yeah, for I you, agree. Andrew? I just don't. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Can... Um, yeah, I was just going to say, um, you know, when it's all said and done, I think there's a ticking clock right now, um, you know, with the way things are going say that everything, you know, there's some miracle workers and it's everything's, you know, back to normal or at least uh, somewhat normal within the next month and a half, then maybe you can consider it. But is that really likely to happen? I think that's what they're weighing right now. And I agree with you, Scott. I think 
Um, it's one of those seasons where one of those seasons where you might just have to bite the bullet and say, you know, let's build up to next year. Uh, especially when there's so many, when literally um, lives could be involved here, um, depending on, you know, how many people are showing up to arena or outside the arena. Like you said, um, it's just one of those things where better safe than sorry. All right, Seth, close it up. What do you, yeah, what I, do you... yeah, I agree. I think it's one of those things where, the NHL, you, your competition isn't playing either, right? It's not like the NHL isn't playing and the NBA is stealing eyes and, and stealing gate money and concession money. Like, nobody's playing. You're on an even playing field with literally everybody. So it's not this urgency to get back because we're losing money, kind of like it was in 2005 and 2012 with the lockouts. Um, so, look, unfortunately at this time, hockey is always going to be fourth in this country, right, in terms of the big four. The NFL is the big dog. The NBA is surging. Um, I think the NHL might have a chance to pass Major League Baseball in 10, 15 years. I think there's a lot of inclusivity um, and and race relations issues that need to be worked through at the, in the NHL in order to pass Major League Baseball. But I think once that inclusivity is, is there for the NHL, they will pass Major League Baseball, especially seeing the way that sport is – really rapidly declining over the last 10, 15 years in terms of viewers. Um, but you're going to be number four and you're not going to lose money. So you need to, you need to do what's best for you. And again, it's one of those things where, you know, uh, distance makes the heart grow fonder. I think the more time the NHL and, and sports in general are away, once it comes back, it's going to be, it's going to be expensive to get into a, a national hockey game, league game. I mean, even in places like Florida and, um, you know, Arizona, where you could find some decent price second market tickets. Like, I think all of a sudden you're going to get uh, a real surge in, in attendance and the NHL will see profits grow again. Because it's not it's not a lockout where blame is being placed on the owners or the players and fans are mad because of, you know, greed, whether, whether that's the right or wrong take. This is it's out of their control. So I think the NHL is going to keep its popularity. And, and once it comes back, uh, they're really going to start making some of that money back quickly. Couldn't agree with you more. Andrew Bell, thanks so much for joining us. I know we kept you a little longer than I told you, but uh, we always enjoy the uh, the conversation. So take care. We're going to get you back on again as soon as possible because we got a lot to talk about. And uh, if I don't see you before, I know I'm going to see you this fall covering uh, ASU hockey because you're not going to stray too far from there, are you? Ah, uh, yeah, um, you know, it might still be around the rink next year and actually have somebody else coming in to help out with hockey next year. So it will be it'll be an announcement later on, but somebody else who will be coming in to help me with the uh, How's the Sparky side things. But, yeah, thank you guys so much for having me and uh, hope everybody stays safe and healthy. And, um, yeah, like I said, thank you so much for having me. Fantastic. Let's take one more quick break, and then Seth and I will come back to wrap it up in just two minutes. At the heart of any good cocktail is the quality of the spirit used. And if you want to make the best margaritas, or if you just want a straight shot of the best tasting tequila, then Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila is the brand for you. Award-winning Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila has the taste you want to make perfectly blended cocktails, whether you're celebrating an overtime game winner with friends or relaxing by the pool after a long work day. Find your bottle, be it in Arizona or elsewhere in the U.S., Visit us at MexicanMoonshine.com. 
Roger Klein's Canteon Tequila, award-winning taste since 2011. Hi everybody, this is Jay from OxyPouch. You probably know our products for being used on your gear to eliminate the odor and bacteria from sports gear and, and your gym and all that stuff. Um, in, in light of current events, uh, we have uh, switched up and added a new product to our production line. It's called our Have a Nice Day Hand Sanitizer. Um, it is exclusively for use on your skin, whereas our other uh, products have been exclusively for use on your fabrics and, and, and gear. Uh, this product is available here at my shop. It's available on my website at www.oxypow.com. And you can pick it up or we can ship it to you anywhere in the United States. All right. And uh, Seth and I are back. Scott Strandy here in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. Seth Askelson joining me from uh, his quarantine in uh, North Phoenix area. Uh, Seth, uh, Andrew's always a great guest because he's always got so much insight in so many different areas. But uh, just your thoughts on tonight's show as we wrap things up. Yeah, I think he made a really good point about um, San Jose. When you think about it, and I kind of wanted to ask him about that, and maybe if we have him on sometime in the near future, I think I'll ask him uh, just kind of about San Jose, right? You think about the city of San Jose. It's in the South Bay. It's pretty much the, the southernmost city considered in the Bay Area. Um, and, you know, they've had single a baseball and you know they've had some lower league minor you know lower level minor league stuff but the san jose sharks are the team in san jose that is the premier professional team and for them not to, to be playing that that hurts right like that hurts that city that like you said that that city has really embraced that team i went to san jose um, a couple of years ago with andrew and we caught a coyotes and sharks game and yeah it's that people love that team when we went to the game we got there relatively early um and i mean it was a line to get in like it it's not like gila river you know gila river still draws great crowds but if you get there an hour early to gila river you don't have to wait in line too long you know i, I think here in arizona people uh, a place like westgate that has a lot of restaurants and, and good bars but i think people like to go out and, and drink and eat before they go into the game so i think that's part of it but I mean, those fans in San Jose love being in that arena. And uh, it hurts that economy. And you think about it, in 2000, you know, between, I'd say, 2005 and, and 2009, 2010, the San Jose Sharks were the only consistently good team um, in the Bay. The Giants with the San Francisco Giants of baseball went through some struggles uh, before they won the World Series in 2010 and went on that run. Um, the A's have always been up and down and been kind of seen as a bottom bottom payroll team though they found success with that uh the golden state warriors before their recent run of success uh, throughout the 2010s were kind of the joke of the league really um, outside of their we believe warrior season in uh, 06 07 so um that's one of those things where san jose has been the sharks have been the one consistent team um in the bay for, for success and for them to have the season they did and then have to cancel that season that that is really rough on that season yep couldn't agree more it's uh it's a great way to uh, to end it is uh leaving us hanging for another conversation like i said next week we hopefully we'll have uh, jesse granger from the uh, athletic las vegas jesse does some great work if uh, if you haven't seen his work study up on that because we'll have him on for a full half hour i hope 
and uh, be able to chat it up. In the meantime, a couple of quick announcements for us. We are now available not only on Podbean and iTunes, but Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, um, you name it. The podcast is out there. Just search for ITHSW Podcasts, and you can find us anywhere. Seth and I will be back next Monday with another episode of Professional Hockey Southwest Weekly. Tomorrow night, College Hockey Southwest Weekly, talking NCAA hockey in the desert southwest. And, of course, Wednesday is Club Hockey Southwest Weekly, where we dig into the club scene. And one final shout-out to uh, the Grand Canyon Lopes. Uh, Seth, I think you've probably seen on there as well that there's some locker rooms being built over at Arcadia for them. Yeah, um, when they got there, Arcadia uh, has been great to GCU Ice Hockey. Um, you know, provided a room upstairs. You know, the, pretty much their storage room upstairs were really uh, giving in terms of that. And um, a, or, uh, GCU has kind of turned that rink into their own, right? I think at AZ Ice Peoria, uh, while we appreciate what AZ Ice Peoria did um, for GCU hockey, I, you know, it, it sometimes just didn't feel like home, there, you know, there wasn't a specific locker room for the team. And, you know, the guys had to bring their equipment in and out. And, you know, now with the uh, Arcadia and, and their locker room, like it, it's going to feel like home. And I think it just shows that not only is GCU ice hockey here to stay in the long run, but they're here to stay at Arcadia. And there's a commitment by both parties to build a program out of that ice rink, you know, almost like what ASU has with, uh, Oceanside, obviously, they're going to get their new rink uh, hopefully in a couple of years. But um, I think, you know, especially when ASU's club hockey and the way their club hockey team still works, like Oceanside is known for ASU hockey. And I think soon Arcadia, um, even though it does in a little, for a little bit, I think uh, it's going to be even known even more as um, the home of GCU Ice Hockey. Couldn't agree with you more. Have a good and safe week, everybody out there. Uh, shout out to Roger Klein and the Peacemakers as well for providing us music as they always do. As I promised, we will uh, always continue until this uh, pandemic subsides with Hello New Day, and that's how we're going to end it tonight. So have a good night, folks. Thank you, Seth, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>